Lord Jesus, we come today acknowledging the depth of need in all of our lives, that it's been a week filled with all sorts of activities and things that uh, have been a part of our life experience, and today we're in your house longing to be able to have a bit of a reset, to be reminded of what's really important and what really matters, to be reminded of the essence of life. And so we thank you for your word, for its clarity, its power, its ability to speak into our lives. And we long today, Lord Jesus, for you to meet with us. We, we long to personally hear from you today, from your word. And so we're asking you, Holy Spirit, today uh, to speak to us. Clear from our minds anything that would distract us from hearing from you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So glad you're here today. Take your Bibles. Let's go over to uh, Colossians chapter 1, that uh, text that Julie read a moment ago. Have you ever had a burden on your heart, really large, really big, and struggle to have words to fully capture what's on your mind and heart? Ever had that happen before? friend asks you, how's it going? Or what are you thinking? And you're just like, yeah. Well, you need to know that this sermon's a bit like that for me today. I've been thinking about uh, some things on my heart for our church today, and uh, I hope God helping me to be able to communicate some things that I think are really important for us as a church as we look to the future, some things that I hope that you prayed about last week. Um, we asked you last week to pray a very important prayer, a prayer that uh, relates to spiritual maturity. That prayer went something like this. Lord, I want to know you so that I can faithfully follow you even when it's hard, all because of the gospel. That's a bit of a risky prayer. Lord, I want to know you. I want to follow you even when it's hard, all because of the gospel. We had a phenomenal prayer week this last week. Uh, saw God move in some really wonderful ways. Had some great prayer times. In fact, I think maybe our best prayer time we've ever had, a st- ever had together as a staff. I found uh, myself just weeping uncontrollably because of the level of pain that people were sharing, the prayers that they were offering, and just wanting God to move in a, in a significant and powerful way. It's good to weep with those who weep. It's good to rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, you need to know that um, prayer doesn't have to stop with prayer week. We have lots of other opportunities for you to engage in prayer. Uh, A few of those are um, every month. Third Sunday night of the month is our Fresh Encounter prayer service, a time we pray together as a church. We have a... um, a noon fast that we do every Wednesday, or first Wednesday of the month, rather. We have a group of people who are praying right now in the Throne of Grace prayer ministry. They're in the in the prayer room um, right now praying and asking God to bless the service. We have on the first Friday of the month a, a global prayer time. Um, we also have on our website a prayer wall that you can engage in and know a little bit about what's going on in people's lives. So we don't want prayer week just to be the end-all, be-all for your prayer life. We want that to launch you into greater seasons of prayer, to have your small group, your uh, ABF classes, your family engage in prayer in a new and uh, in a deeper way. So that's what the goal was of prayer week. Hopefully it's helped to motivate you on. What we talked about last week, though, was the whole issue of spiritual maturity. And today what I want to do is to dial into that theme of spiritual maturity in a, in a deeper and more significant way, specifically as it relates to the fact that our elders are getting together this weekend for our annual elder retreat. And there are some things that we're praying about, some things that we're asking the Lord for, that I think as a church it would be helpful for you to know what's on our hearts so you can join us in prayer. And also because this is your church and we need you to be on the same page with us in terms of what we sense and feel that the Lord is saying. And so today I want to dial into this whole subject of um, spiritual maturity and help you understand some things. 
First, let me just take a step back and help you to understand that as a church ministry right now, we're in a really great place. Where I kind of sit as a lead, as the lead pastor of our church, I, I sense that our church is spiritually healthy. Our pastoral staff is um, fully built. Our facilities are completed. Our financial position is incredibly strong. And the Lord has continued to add to our church family in 2012 in a, in a marvelous way. So things are really, really good. Every church goes through seasons of challenge and crisis, and we've had those here at College Park over the years, and the great thing is we're through them. And there's something wonderful about what God is doing here, and also, frankly, something wonderful about a church our size. There's some great blessings with that. We can leverage resources. We can offer you programs and uh, ministries that I think are just incredible and really helpful for your soul. There's able things that we're able to do things that we wouldn't be able to do if we weren't as large as we are. For instance, I don't know if you've heard the report on what you gave the church to the Christmas offering this year, but it's just, it's just incredible. To the Brookside neighborhood, the initiatives that we're doing, you helped us to fund already $696,000 worth of resources. It's just, just amazing, isn't it? Praise the Lord. So sometimes people are down on big churches, and I understand why. And we're going to talk about some of those challenges today. But there are some really unique blessings of a church our size. There are some things that we can do to really make a difference in the world. Um, I've said before that um, you know some places can make a dimple and we can make a dent. And you can't change everything, but there are some things that we can change as a church ministry. And it's just wonderful, whether it's reaching unreached people groups or able to reach the um, neighborhood of Brookside and just some really wonderful things that we're able to do together as a church family. But just because we're no longer in crisis or there aren't huge challenges or just because we're a large church doesn't mean that church is safe. And let me just talk a little bit about what I mean by that because it relates to this whole issue of spiritual blessing. There's a danger And I'm sure that you feel this at times. The danger is this. And the danger is that with all of the programs, all of the activities, all of the um, kind of the vibe that a crowd of people can bring, the attractiveness of our facilities, what can happen is that a, a church can feel successful. Like, man, something's really going on here. And the question is, is there really something going on there? Are, are the right things really going on? And what can happen is that you can get trapped into a cycle, so to speak, kind of a treadmill of ministry where you're so busy doing and doing and doing and doing and doing that someday you need to just kind of stop and realize, now why are we doing this again? And, and what is the point? Because here's the thing. When you're, when you're running at that pace and doing all of these things, pretty soon it starts to feel like, you know, I'm involved in spiritual activities and doing spiritual things. I'm getting spiritual information. And the question we need to ask ourselves, okay, but are you actually becoming more spiritual? That's the question. And so one of the things that our elders and pastors are dialing into is this whole idea of what does it mean to be spiritually mature? In other words, what does it mean for us to really produce disciples? What does it mean that, that we really are helping one another to grow into the conformity of the image of Christ? Because just because you're involved in programs, just because you go to a small group, just because even you read your Bible on a regular basis doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to be formed more and more into the image of Christ. So this idea of spiritual maturity or growing in our discipleship is a really important thing for us to think about. I've had this on my heart for a long time. been thinking and praying about this, and as I shared earlier, have a big burden for this. Not because things are broken, but just because I feel like as a pastor, I've given my life to spiritual maturity, not running programs. 
I've given my life to help people grow and become disciples, not managing a ministry. Does that make sense? And, and there's something important about thinking about these things. And um, some of you people in um, business may know of an author, Jim Collins. It's a secular book. He talks about productive paranoia. Just constantly thinking about what could go wrong. And for me, the productive paranoia in my life is that we would be doing all sorts of things related to ministry, but not actually producing spiritually mature people. So our, our, our pastors got away together in August, and um, we took uh, two days and just talked about this issue of discipleship, shared some things that were on my heart. And when I, we came back from that, I presented um, a paragraph or kind of a vision statement to our elders as to what was going on inside of my soul. I tried to capture a big burden in two sentences to help everyone with clarity. And I wanted to share with you what I wrote. Here's what I said. We will fight against the natural gravitational pull of a large church, which, despite all of its blessings, can often lead to underdeveloped life-on-life discipleship and stagnating spiritual maturity. Therefore, we will invite our people to a refocused vision towards presenting everyone mature in Christ at every level of the ministry such that spiritual depth, personal transformation, and multiplication are visible aspects of our future culture. Essentially, what I'm driving for is this, is that we sense the cultural winds that are blowing against us personally. I'm sure you do as well. Our culture is changing, changing rapidly, um, not conforming more and more to biblical values. But we also sense the prevailing winds of a large church. We know that it can be easy for someone just to come in and um, sit, listen, leave, and not have life-on-life contact, contact in terms of spiritual growth. We're trying to figure out what do we do about that. We also sense an increasing busyness within our culture um, and even within the culture of evangelical Christianity. This, this pace of life that gets faster and faster and faster and faster. And we just want to be sure that, that we're really helping people grow spiritually, not just being busier and busier and busier. You know, I, I sense this as a, as a parent. I mean, my kids, there's so many things they could be involved in. I mean, this, this Friday was like liberation day for our family. Let me tell you why. Because I took my sons to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, and they are officially, stay off the sidewalks, they are legal and can drive on their own. And my wife and I were dancing a little jig, like, we are free, you know? And there was a sense of, of we got some margin in our life now, right? Some of you parents remember that moment. We got margin in our life in that way, but not in our insurance, right? So... Uh, you know how that goes. So the reality is there's so many things that they can be doing that our life, our calendar is so full. And if we're not careful, I'm sure you live in the same world, we could be so busy doing things that, as Eric said, we don't even have time to be. Time to just become what God wants us to become. So this morning from Colossians 1, I wanted to share some thoughts for you as it relates to this um, idea of spiritual maturity. I want to set help you understand what the the text means, and then secondly, to kind of set the context of some things that we're thinking about um, as a church. And and none of these relate to programs. It relates more to a paradigm of how we want to think about the ministry and want to invite you to think about this with us as well. So what is the vision of Colossians 1.28? In particular, verse 28 was a verse that I stumbled across over the last year that has just gripped me and, and lit a fire within me to be sure that we are on target with this particular theme. 
Look at verse 28, Colossians 1. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Did you hear a word over and over? Everyone, everyone, everyone. We'll come back to that in a moment. There's three things here I want you to see. First, I want you to notice what the focus is in regards to this issue of spiritual maturity. The focus is Jesus. Verse 28, it says, Him we proclaim. What what this little phrase does is helps us to keep perspective and priority in the midst of all sorts of things that we could be doing and helping us to remember that at the end of the day, you know what spiritual maturity is all about? Spiritual maturity is about a personal relationship with Jesus. It's about you becoming more and more like Jesus. That's why our mission statement is igniting a passion to follow Jesus. Jesus, and if you've been around here at College Park for a while, you may be familiar with this phrase. It's about keeping the main one the main thing. It's about keeping the main one the main thing. So it helps us because in the midst of all the things that we learn, our our Bible, our theology, all things that we do, ministry, helping other people, that we got to remember that at the end of the day, you know what the church is about? At the end of the day, the church is about one man, one God, one King, one Lord, one Savior, It's about Jesus. And our role in this world is to proclaim Him. That's what we are. We exist to declare Jesus. Not just to learn about Him. Not just to study Him. Not just to pray to Him. Not just to serve in His name. But our role in this culture is to proclaim Jesus. I want you to see this in um, the book of Colossians chapter 1. Notice the centrality of Jesus in verses 15 to 20. Just, just listen for, and, and look as I point to all of the ways which Paul points his people at the church of Colossae to the centrality of Jesus. And this is important because they were beginning to drift from the centrality of Jesus. Other things were becoming more important. So he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were made, were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the church, of the body, the church he's the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent you get the point i mean he 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 him what paul is doing here is is helping this church and helping us to remember that at the end of the day what it's all about is a personal relationship with jesus it's that we would experience him in worship that we would fall more in love with him and the goal of spiritual maturity is that you would resemble him more and more in your life than you did before that you would look like Jesus, that you're captivated with Jesus. See, the gospel, if you're a person who's searching and trying to figure out what Christianity is all about, the the gospel is essentially this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and Paul says, among whom I am chief. In other words, Paul was the biggest sinner that he knew, and you are the biggest sinner that you know. And, And here's why. Because you know all the things you've done, you can only imagine what I've done. Right, And so you know what you need to be saved from. And the way that you're saved from your sins is by accepting Christ who paid the atonement for our sins on a cross. And God says that he'll take Christ's death and count that to your account. And that's how you become a Christian. You repent of your sins, you follow Christ, you receive him. That Jesus now becomes the central reality of your life. John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him, to them He he gave the right to become the children of God. 
And then for the rest of our lives, you know what we're doing? Second Corinthians tells us that we're being transformed with one degree of glory into another, into His likeness. That means that this particular Sunday, hopefully, I've moved incrementally and become more like Jesus than what I was last Sunday. It means that this year, in January, hopefully, I've moved incrementally and I look more like Jesus than I did January 2012. So the goal is for us to resemble, to be like, and to proclaim the beauty of who and what Jesus is. A little word, proclaim, it's an important word. It means a solemn or important proclamation that is designed to be spread, almost that it has a life of its own. So you think of this as not just good news or news in general, but you could think of this as breaking news, I mean, the kind that's that's really important that you need to listen to. And so what Paul is saying is that the central reality of the church, the central reality of life, is Jesus. It means that Jesus is everything. So Him we proclaim. That's the focal point. That The goal of this church, the goal of even this Sunday morning, is that you would leave here today and we've helped you to move and become just a little bit more like Jesus. So, secondly, look at the process that shows up. Look at what it says in the second part of verse 28. Not only him we proclaim, but this, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So that, that word everyone is really important. The, the NIV translates it as um, admonishing and teaching everyone. They, they drop the everyone that's listed twice in order to make it flow better grammatically. And that makes sense from a, a reading standpoint. But the challenge is, is that the, the word everyone is there in the Greek twice. In fact, three times, if, if you continue on in the verse. And that is there by design. And that is that Paul wants them to know that spirituality is not just reserved for some elite class of people. That every single person matters. That means, listen to me, that your spiritual growth individually matters to the overall spiritual health of this body. That every single person, every child, every mom or dad, every single adult, every senior citizen, I don't care if you've known Jesus for 30 minutes or 30 years, every single one of us have to be growing in maturity and becoming more like Jesus. As pastors and shepherds, that means that um, every single person's spiritual growth is important. You see, what can happen in a church our size is you can kind of throw up your hands and say, well, there's no way you could help every person grow with a church of 4,000. Well, the reality is that's what we're called to. So somehow we've got to figure that out. Otherwise, the church is just frankly too large because the goal isn't to be large. The goal is for everyone to grow in maturity. And so as elders, we're talking about, so how do we really make that happen? What does that look like? And how do we help one another grow in this maturity? So so listen, you need to hear me that your relationship with Jesus matters. And the people who you know who are near to you, their spiritual growth matters for you. And that we're doing this collective thing together. We're, we're, we're growing together into this maturity vision of what it is that Christ could be formed in us. Now Paul says, we're to do this, everyone. There's to be admonishing or warning, but there's also to be teaching. So he says, warning and teaching with all wisdom. That word warning, and this is the role of the church, this is the role of a good friend, this is the role of a good coach, this is the role of a spiritual mentor, is to both warn and to teach. And I hope that you are receptive to both warning and teaching. You know, there's some people, they just want teaching. They don't want correction. 
Correction is hard. When someone says, hey, I have a suggestion for you. That's, ooh, that's hard, right? It's hard to receive that. Or, hey, uh, may I make an observation about something you could improve in? Sure, right? (laughs) My kids have said that to me before. I've given them permission to point out areas of weakness. And they take me up on it on occasion. And, hey, Dad, can can I share an observation with you? And I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. Sure, let's hear it, you know? It's hard, isn't it, to hear both correction and instruction, but we need it. Good coaches give instruction, instruction, but they also give correction. Don't do this, do this. Good parents, you know, give instruction. Right here. Instruction, it's over here. Instruction, and they also give um, correction, right? Don't do this, instead do this. Same thing with church leaders. There needs to be a balance between correction and instruction. So when you put it all together... The idea is that you have this group of people and everyone's spiritual growth is really important and that as shepherds, we need to exercise great wisdom. That's why it puts it in there. Great wisdom to know who needs to be corrected and who needs to be instructed. Who needs to be challenged in their thinking and who needs to have new thoughts put in their mind and heart. That word for admonish is the Greek word nutheteo. It means to point out what is wrong and then lay on the heart that which is right. And you see, part of my vision of what even Sunday morning is, is you ought to come in here and be encouraged at one level, and yet also be convicted at another. That a really good Sunday is when you've had both. You've had both conviction and comfort. When you've had exhortation, or I can really do this, and conviction on the other hand. So part of what it means for us to grow spiritually is that we we get it when it comes to this this fully-orbed reality of relationships that bear fruit in spiritual maturity that involve both warning and also instruction that means that if you have a friend who's fallen off the wayside listen to me you have a responsibility to go and warn that person you may it may be awkward but where do we get the idea that life wasn't supposed to be awkward right it may create challenges But we're commanded to speak the truth in love. You know what that means? It means that you love the person enough that you'll speak the truth to them, even if it proves costly to you. So we need to be responsible for one another's spiritual growth. The need of every single person is important. And third, here's the goal of all of this. Look at verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, and here's the goal, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is a grand vision. The idea is that there is coming a day when we will present everyone mature in Christ. That means that from my perspective, that I am, and our pastors are working together, and our elders are working together in this enterprise, that one day we're going to have to present College Park Church to Jesus Christ, and we're going to present her to Him and say, Here she is. Isn't she beautiful? And we're going to present you to him and there is an enormous responsibility that that involves that we are to present everyone mature in christ in fact paul felt the weight of this so much look at verse 29 for this i toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me by the way this is an easy work it's not we have sin that lies within us fighting against us we have the devil that's working against us we have the world that's working against us this is a real and substantial battle and paul says that he's going to give all of his energy and what i'm asking you today to consider is how you can give your energy to this call to help us to build spiritually mature people 
The text says we are presenting everyone to Christ. The idea is that there's a destination, that that there's coming a day when some sort of presentation is going to happen, right? I mean, something's going to happen eventually. This isn't just going to stay this way forever. There's coming a day when we're going to present you to Christ. And so there's a movement that's happening. Things are moving somewhere. And with that goal in mind, then we have to live and conduct ourselves in a particular way. Some of you may have set um, New Year's resolutions. Some of those may have been um, maybe physical goals. You're going to lose some weight, get in shape. Here's one little piece of advice. This is free. If you're going to do something like that, set yourself a goal in the future that involves a group of people, like a race or some type of major event that you know is coming on the calendar, and no matter what you do, that day is coming. And you're either going to show up and look like a goofball, or you're going to show up and going to run real well, okay? And so you see that date in front of you, and that creates the motivation to be able to get there. So 2012, one of my goals was I've always wanted to do a triathlon. Always wanted to, but never did one. And so I set my date. I picked the triathlon. Little did I know, I picked one of the hardest ones in Indiana. It was down in Brown County, 16 miles up and down. Swam in Lake Lemon in September. Yeah, it was like 64 degrees. I was one of three people without a wetsuit, so it was a pretty good experience. Yeah. Yep. The other person, by the way, was Dale Shaw, and I were doing it together, so. <laughs> it was cold, man. I was swimming so fast to get out of that water. But I knew that that day was coming, and that's what got me up running. That's what hit, made me hit the bike on Saturdays. What got me in the pool when it was, you know, not so, so warm out outside was the knowing that that date was going to come. That date in the future on the calendar motivated me to do things that I wouldn't normally have done. And I'm telling you, friends, there's one day we are going to be presented to Christ. And therefore, we are, this, this church is moving somewhere. The goal is not just for us to get more information and more understanding of, of what it means for us to know theology and know about the Bible. There's coming a day that we're going to be presented to Christ. That day is going to come. And I want you, when you stand before Christ, to be really grateful that you are part of this church. I want you to be grateful for the pastors who helped to form Christ in you. I want to be able to give a good account for that day. And our elders and pastors are leaning into this because it's important that there is growth in all of our lives. Now, we often talk about growth in this way. We talk about it in terms of progressive sanctification. What that means is this, that your growth and my growth isn't like a straight line. It's progressive. It moves up and down. In some cases, for some of you, 2012 may have been a spiritual recession year. Your spiritual Dow Jones is down by 12 points, okay? But the reality is the goal over the course of your lifetime is that the trajectory of your life is heading towards more and more Christ-likeness. This is helpful because, you know what, we're never going to be perfect in this lifetime, and we're all going to make mistakes. But the point is is that there's incremental progress, so that if you're more Christ-like than where you were a year ago, you ought to thank God and rejoice and be glad that greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And when you mess up and when you fail, you ought to say, God, you know I'm a sinner, yet your Spirit is within me, and you helping me, I'm going to continue to grow, that there's hope in Jesus. This is progressive in nature. What this means is that it's our goal and our role together to help one another grow in what it means to be formed in the image of Christ. Back in the month of August, our staff went to a conference put on by the authors of a book called The Trellis and the Vine, really dialing into this theme of discipleship. And the book's main point is this, that so often churches can become all about trellis work when they're supposed to be about vine work. 
So the trellis is important, don't get me wrong. But if you go over to someone's house and they have a beautiful vine, you don't say, wow, that's a really great trellis. You compliment the vine because trellises were made for vines. And the challenge with church ministry leadership, especially in a large church ministry, is you can spend a lot of your day and weeks and months and years just simply dealing with trellis stuff. The programs, the management of the ministry, recruiting workers, funding it all, dealing with problems and issues, and you spend all your day dealing with the management of the trellis when the reality is what God's called us to is the vine. And so what we're trying to do is say, Lord, we want to be about vine work. In the course of that uh, conference, they gave us a diagram that I found really helpful, and that is this, that on the continuum of maturity in Christ, there are people who are still in in the domain of darkness, meaning they've not come to faith in Christ, and there are people who are in the kingdom of um, the Son, Jesus. So there's two kinds of people in the world. And within the spectrum of each domain, people are at various stages in that domain. In the case over here of the domain of darkness, there's folks who are far, far away. They've never even heard the name of Christ. There are folks with whom we have contact and relationships. There are those who we started to talk with in terms of having a relationship with them. Those who we've had opportunity to present the gospel to. Those who have heard the gospel and have made the decision to become a follower of Jesus. Those who are growing in their relationship with Christ, those who are wrestling and they're continuing to persevere, and then those who are involved in ministry training, all of this in the process of making us more mature into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. Here's the question that I want you to think with me about, and that is this. First of all, where are you on this continuum? We're all somewhere. Some of you may be over here. You've never turned your life over to Christ, and and our hope would be that you would make that decision to, to yield your heart and your life to Jesus. On this side of the equation... Many of us are in the kingdom of his son, but the question is, where are we at in terms of our overall spiritual formation? And the goal for pastors and elders, the goal for all of us, is that we would help one another to take one step further along in this continuum and growing more into the maturity of what Jesus Christ is all about. In other words, we ought to constantly be asking ourselves when it comes to our small groups, when it comes to the relationships of those around us, am I really helping them to to take another step in the continuum of maturity towards Jesus? I mean, this is like, like parenting, isn't it? It is that you help your kids take one little step at a time. In terms of maturity, you, you work on one thing and they master that and you go on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And, 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 and the goal is this maturity and in the same way in parenting, so it is in regards to spiritual leadership. And that is to help people move further and further along in terms of their relationship with Jesus. All of that to say, I want you to ask with us this question. How does this program, how does this ministry, how does this event help us in moving people along and helping them to become mature, to become like Jesus. At the end of the day, how do your conversations, so in like 20 minutes, you're going to have conversations out in the hallway. How do those conversations help move people along in terms of their spiritual maturity? What does it mean for us to be able to grow and to do that together and to have a real concern for the, the spiritual growth of those around us? The problem is, is that we can get into this pattern. The pattern sounds like this. We meet with Christian friends. We attend Christian programs. We transport our kids to Christian activities. We listen to Christian sermons. We serve in Christian ways. And then we don't use those Christian venues to get below the surface and to really dial into what it means to help people really become mature. 
We're content just to hang out together and have fun and be friends when the reality is we've not, that, that event really didn't help people to become more spiritually mature. So let me just give you some questions to think about. First, are you further along in your spiritual maturity right now than where you were a year ago? And then this, and who would know that besides you? Secondly, who would you consider to be a spiritual mentor to yourself? When, when the, if the bottom fell out of life, who could you pick up the phone and call and say, look, bro, I need you to pray for me? Third, who are you pouring your life into right now with a vision of helping them move in the continuum towards maturity in Christ? Who are you pouring your life into? I would suggest that all of us need to have someone we can look up to and somebody who we're pouring our life into. We'll talk about this more in a moment, but do conversations with other people involve talk about spiritual growth? Are you intentionally building into people who are not Christians? And then finally, you know, one of the things we discovered, we um, took a survey, and you'll hear more about that in the next couple of weeks or months, um, but we discovered that there's a number of folks within our church who haven't been baptized. And I, I just want to encourage you, maybe even challenge you, that some of you, that first step of following Jesus is the public declaration of, I am a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. And now some of you scared, giving your testimony up here in front of a bunch of people. I get that. I really do. But there's no greater opportunity you're going to have in your entire life to tell a thousand plus people about what unbelievably happened to your soul because of Jesus. It's a huge privilege. And I just want to encourage you, um, at the end of this uh, month, Pastor Don's going to have a little class, a little meeting during the second hour. And if you've not been baptized, I would just encourage you that this needs to be the year. This needs to be, where you take that step and say, you know what, that's one step I can take in the incremental walk of becoming more and more like Jesus. So there is this danger with all the things that go with a healthy and large church. The danger is that we could be busy building ministry trellises while neglecting spiritual maturity and as elders and pastors, we just want to have a conversation, not because things are terrible or broken, but because I think healthy churches and healthy leaders have healthy discussions about these things. So what does it mean for us to present everyone mature in Christ? I'm not going to launch some new program, but instead we want you maybe thinking and praying with us about this. How does this, how does this relate to your family, to, to, to the people who are in your sphere of influence, to your small group, to your ABF class, to the people that you have in your uh, world and in your relationship? What does it mean for you to be part of helping us to present everyone mature in Christ? You know, Jim prayed a while ago about um, Jim Greer passing away. Dr. Greer was a mentor of mine, but you know what? That relationship wasn't formal. You know how you know how I became how he became my mentor? It was by groupy mentality. Meaning anywhere that he was, I went. And I just got around him and near him and close to him, and after a while we became friends. And and I just want to encourage you that if you're young in the faith or you're in the process of, of trying to um, take the next step, you need to have somebody who's who's older in your life who can, can pour into you from a spiritual perspective. And it's not the church's responsibility to find that person for you. Listen to me. It's your responsibility to find that person. You need to take ownership for your own soul, for your own growth. We, we can help you, but at the end of the day, that's, 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 that's on you, not just on us.
And as well, if you're an older person, you've known Christ for years, you have all of this wisdom and experience, we could really use you in terms of finding somebody. Pray. Say, Lord, would you direct me to some person who, who I could just pour my life into? I mean, you've known Jesus for, what, 15, 20 years? You've got great stuff that you could pour into someone else's life, and there are people who are dying to be able to have the kind of spiritual influence that you could have. And I just want to ask you today to pray about how you might be involved in this understanding of presenting everyone mature in Christ. So, there are three particular things that, um, as elders, we're going to be dialing into over the weekend. And I just want to share them. This is the context for some things we're going to be working on in 2013. The first is in regards to personal evangelism. As we've talked about discipleship and what can we do to help all of us across the board take a big step in regards to personal discipleship, we feel like personal evangelism is a great way to do that. And here's why. In the first place, it's very clear the Bible calls us to be evangelistic. We're here on the earth not just to learn about God. We're here to proclaim Him, right? I mean, we all know that. But the problem is, is that that doesn't happen as well as it should. In fact, we got some information back from our survey and while there was a bunch of stuff that was really encouraging and our church is really healthy spiritually, when it comes to personal evangelism, we got a lot of work to do. Forty percent of people who were surveyed in our church said they don't even know their neighbors. Sixty percent of us said they don't know them well enough to have a spiritual conversation with them. So friends, look, our challenge isn't that you don't know how to share your faith. That's probably part of it. Our challenge is we've got to have backyard barbecues. We've got to invite friends and neighbors over. We've got to build relationships. We've got to get out of the Christian ghetto a little bit and get out and start taking some risky steps. Christianity wasn't meant to be safe, friends. It was meant to be something that we would go out there and take risks. And I think that when you take the risk of personal evangelism, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get rejected. You're going to have challenges. They're going to ask you questions. There's going to be issues come up, and you're going to go back to your small group or your realm of influence and say, man, will you pray for me? I got, like, seriously rejected last week. Or if you come back, they listen to the gospel. It's going to cause discipleship to rise across the board. I promise you, you start sharing your faith, suddenly you will pray like you've never prayed before. You will ask people to pray for you. There will be a, an edge of your desire to really grow. Plus, uh, as I was talking to somebody who's doing a great job sharing their faith, the other thing they said is, you know, when I share my faith, then I know it's game on at the office. Because <laughs> I'm going to share my faith, I've got to be the real deal. And so we're asking you to think and pray with us about this matter of personal evangelism, and we're going to try and offer you some help, some tools, some things that um, could just just help you to, to know how to do that more effectively. But at the end of the day, what I want you to do is start by praying and saying, Lord, we've got to reach out to our neighbors. Would you help us know how to do that? We've got we to gotta have a boldness with how we approach this. Here's the second thing. I've touched on this already, but let me reemphasize it again, is that we want to continue for College Park to be a disciple-making culture. We're not going to start a discipleship program. What I want is a paradigm shift a little bit. For those who've known Christ for a long time, to see that, you know what, you've got some things that could really be helpful investing it into people who are newer in the faith. If you're young in the faith, you need to be looking around and going, I think that's a godly guy, I want to go hang out with him. It's a godly woman. I want to know what, 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 how, how, how she's raised her family, how she, she, she manages her life in the marketplace so that we're all helping one another to be able to move further and further along in this continuum. I want you to see that your role in this ministry is not just to do the work of the ministry, it's to do and equip others in the work of the ministry. 
to realize that, that it's our responsibility to help others understand what it is that we're doing such that discipleship becomes a part of the fabric of who we are, not just some incidental program of the context of this body. I want you to think and dream with me what it would look like if we really took seriously this charge to make disciples and to multiply. And then finally, you know, healthy churches grow, but healthy churches also do something else. Healthy churches send. One of our core values is the call to go. And that means to go in a foreign mission setting, but it also means just to have an externally-minded ministry philosophy. Meaning this, that our city needs Jesus. And one of the things we're thinking and talking about is what does it look like to move into a church planting or a multi-site strategy. There are certain regions of our city that, um, frankly, could use more churches. You may think that Indianapolis has way too many churches. Actually, that's not true. Do you know that six of ten people in our community don't consider themselves to be religiously affiliated with the term Christian? Six of ten. And some 56% of churches in our community would call themselves evangelical, but that is a very, very broadly defined term of evangelical. Friends, there's, there's a need for new churches in our community. Uh, statisticians would tell you that uh, the, the church has really reached the saturation point when you have one church for every thousand people. And in the city of Indianapolis, it's one church for every 1,600 or 1,800 people. So, so there's, there's room for more churches. So we need to think about how can we reach our community in a broader way. But here's the other thing. We need to think about this not only for our community. We need to think about this for the sake of our own spiritual health. Here's why. I want people, when they're coming into our membership class, to realize that they may be here for a little season, and then they may go with our blessing to go help start another church. Something really healthy about that. I ran into a young man a couple uh, months ago who had left our church to go help plant another church, and he was very apologetic about it. He said, I'm really so sorry that I had to leave, but I just wanted to go and plant this church and help them. It's been wonderful for my soul, and I'm involved in all sorts of things. And he was so apologetic, and I said to him, David, Bro, that's why, that's why we are what we are. We, we're here so that we could send you. That's exactly what our mission is. And somehow I want to get that through in a, in a, in a broader, more cohesive way that you understand that, that, that we have people we could send and we'll be just fine. And we would love to have you go and plant a church. In fact, there's, there's already one opportunity. In, in a, at the end of this month, Corey Johnson will be here um, and talk about the church plant that's happening in Brookside with Nehemiah Bible Church. And I would love if a number of you would prayerfully consider about um, helping that church in, in Brookside. I love if some of you said, you know what, we're going to sell our homes in Carmel, we're going to move into that neighborhood, and uh, we're going to be part of the redemptive work of that community. And I, I just think there's something about that that's really healthy. So we need to think about church planting, not just to reach our community, but also because of what it means for us to be spiritually healthy. For a church to be healthy, it needs to be replicating and multiplying and needs to be a sending culture. It needs, listen, to be a conduit, not a cul-de-sac. People love moving into cul-de-sacs because they're comfortable, they're safe, the traffic isn't very heavy, and it's, it's generally protected. The church cannot be a cul-de-sac. God didn't call us to be a cul-de-sac. He called us to be a conduit of sending people and proclaiming this message of the glorious realities of who and what Jesus is. So personal evangelism, a disciple-making culture, and external impact. These are the three things in particular that we're praying about. And as our elders go to this retreat this weekend, I'll ask you to pray and seek the Lord on our behalf. Last week, we 
prayed about spiritual maturity, and this week I wanted to give you a sense of just what's on our hearts. I have a big, big burden for all of this. And yet I believe that God's been so faithful to us here for over 27 years, and I think now is the time for us to think at a whole new level, not only this year, but for a number of years to come. So what does it mean for us really seriously to present every single one of us mature in Jesus Christ? Everyone mature in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that um, the Word of God is relevant to our lives. Thank you for Colossians 1.28 and its uh, call to um, realize the importance of this maturity in Christ growth thing. And um, Lord, we all need to grow. And I pray that you would help us to um, get out of a, a overly self-centered concern, see the needs of people around us, see the ways that our lives affect people near us. And God, give us a heart that is fitting with the beauty of all of what your Son is. And so help us as we dial into these things as, as leaders and help as a church for us to grow more and more into the conformity of the image of your dear Son. And we pray this in the authoritative name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church, afterwards there'll be some folks up here at the front. You may be in one of those spiritual recessions. would love to have somebody pray for you. They'll be here, be able to help encourage you today, okay? Don't leave without being prayed for if there's a need in your life, all right? Love you, Couch Park. Thanks for coming today. God bless you.